This episode is sponsored by Realtor.com, who wants you to take advantage of your free profile on Realtor.com. By claiming and completing your free profile, adding a photo, and all of the information that puts you head and shoulders above the competition, you're on your way to receiving free leads, helping search engines find you, and staying top of mind with past clients. To learn more about claiming your free profile, go to realtor.com forward slash profile. Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first-time homebuyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Real View Podcast. I am your host, Allison Wiley. Joining me today is our special guest. His name is Matt Simmons. He is founder, CEO, and manager at his company, Sim Capital, and its parent company, Simmons. Matt, welcome onto the show. Super excited to have you on today. Pleased to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're going to dive into the uh, world of, of Matt's business, what he's created, what he does with his real estate company. Talk about multifamily and affordable housing and and it's so important right now. We know affordable housing is on the top of all of our real estate agents' minds. It's on the top of consumers' minds. You know, how are we going to get more affordable housing um, in the places where these individuals are working and living in? So we're going to dive into all of that. But before we do, Matt, I would like to hear a little bit more about you, uh, your yourself, how you got started in real estate, and tell us a little bit about your career journey. Oh, boy. Well, let's go way back. So yeah. I actually... I actually first uh, started my, my business was racing motorcycles for a living um, when I was when I was first out of high school. So that's that's taken us way back. <laughs> that didn't last too long before I really injured myself horribly bad and needed to find another career to to go into. And that fast forwards to about 2006, 2007 that I had sold a business that I was partners with after I stopped racing and just started moving some of that money into real estate myself. I knew real estate was a good investment. I wanted to build a portfolio for me and my family. And that's kind of what started my real estate career, I guess you could say. And I built from that time through about 2013, I built just my own personal portfolio of about 300 or so doors of real estate while building other companies and then selling those companies. And, you know, so business for me is like, you know, I love business. I love the, I love the, the challenge of creating something, building it, and then ultimately selling it. When I had sold my last company in 2013, 2012, 2013-ish, wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. That's when Dodd-Frank came out. And then the SDC changed a lot of the regulations regarding crowdfunding. You know, that's when crowdfunding started to come become big. And they allowed companies to start crowdfunding for equity without having to be a publicly traded company. And so for me, it was like the light bulb went off, right? I knew, I mean, real estate had kind of got me through good times and the bad times, you know, over the previous 10, 12 years. And so for me, it kind of made sense to go all in on real estate. And that's when we founded SimCap, or when I founded SimCap. And that we, we officially launched in 2014. Our focus there was really kind of just expanding upon the portfolio that I had built at that time. But we started looking and diving into more 
more of the multifamily space, larger multifamily properties, your 20 units, your 30 units, your 50 units, so on and so forth. Fast forward to today, we've done seven funds to date. We've done uh, almost $600 million in total transactions. We currently own, operate, and manage about $340 million of real estate, which equals about almost 4,000 doors currently. And we're across nine states. And our big focus right now, besides multifamily, is affordable housing. We kind of pivoted to affordable housing Coming out of the pandemic in 2021, we saw multifamily, the multi, I mean, you're in real estate, you know, this, the multifamily space really kind of dried up and kind of came to a screeching halt. So did office space and a lot of other commercial space. Deal flow slowed down by 90%. And so we wanted to, I wanted to keep us growing. Our investors were starting to want to invest, invest again, but multifamily, there wasn't a ton of opportunity. And so we pivoted to the affordable housing space to, to keep ourselves growing. and. That's kind of what our focus is now, right now. I mean, obviously, multifamily is still a big focus for us, and the things are starting to loosen up a little bit. But the affordable housing space, there's a huge need for it, huge demand. There's not near enough supply. And it's a different type of offering for our investors and any investor than what most people are offering. So it gives us, a, you know, it gives us the opportunity to keep growing while everyone else is standing still, but also a differentiation point. Uh, against every other firm and fund kind of doing the same thing. Thank you for that. I always think it's fascinating to to see where people have come from, how they got to where they are today. So I appreciate, you know, hearing a little bit more about you and, and what you guys all do in your company. And one of my questions I was going to ask is how Sim Capital is different than other real estate investment companies. And I think you answered it, you know, talking about, you know, your willingness to explore in the affordable housing space and the multifamily space, because as you mentioned, there just is not enough of it uh, right now. And it's doesn't seem like there's going to be, you know, anytime soon. So tell us, you know, kind of in your opinion, why it's so important, both multifamily and affordable housing, why it's critical that we're paying attention to this area. And just in your opinion, why is it so important? I mean, multifamily is always going to have big demand just because you have people that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a generation that doesn't want to own a home, right? They want the flexibility of being able to rent. They want the flexibility of being able to pick up a move if they want to. When their lease expires, they want to be tied into a home long term. They don't want to have the overhead and the maintenance and the upkeep of owning a home or their own property. And so that's where multifamily comes in is it gives people the opportunity to get into a nice property with good amenities, but without having to worry about the upkeep and the taxes and the, ma- and the maintenance and everything like that of owning the actual property themselves. As far as the affordable housing space goes, I mean, it's just, it's the same old, It's it's been this way for gosh, I don't know how many years. I mean, probably longer than my lifetime that I, you know, but there's been, there's always a demand for affordable housing, especially in today's climate. It's gotten even worse, right? Because affordability has dropped, has, has, has gotten to the point where, you know, we haven't seen affordability drop for homeowners like in our, in our lifetime, the way that we've seen it recently between the inflation rates, the rise in properties, the, the low demand that uh, or the, the high demand, the low supply, it's just continued to drive home prices up and it's gotten to the point where people just can't afford it. And so the affordable housing aspect has become even more of a focus uh, nationwide. And there's just not enough people that are willing to buy properties, place the properties into the programs that are out there and, and, and put those properties you know, up for rent to people that need it. And, and that's, the, that's the sad part. I mean, the, 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 there's this bad, I don't know why people have this bad perception of affordable housing or Section 8 or whatever you want to call it, but people do. They have this bad perception of it and they think you know, immediately their property is going to become worthless and get ruined. And it's just not the case. So I think you have to combat that a lot. And you got to combat that stigma if you want to fix the problem that we have. The problem is, is that 
No one's educating on this. Yeah, you're right. And I do think that there's a misconception out there about affordable housing and that, oh, it's a negative thing and I don't want anything to do with that. And I don't know who, you know, what kind of people are going to be living there and all this kind of stuff. Um, Do you think that's kind of why no one is really exploring this space or that there is, you know, such a lack in this is just the misconception that exists out there? There's a huge misconception about it. And and it goes to a lack of education, to be honest, that people aren't educated on a program. They aren't, aren't educated on what's allowed, what's not allowed. They, they don't. And that's why you see a lot of operators and most operators in this space are very small. They're mom and pop. They have three, four, five properties, if that, you know, and they try it out and they get they get, you know, ruined over it or they put the wrong tenants in their properties. And, yeah, they have the, the, the issues that gives us gives this industry the stigma. Um, but the problem is, is they didn't educate themselves on how to how to place the right tenants, how to underwrite the tenants, how to collect the right rent, how to get the tenants to buy into that property to make sure that they take care of it. And that's all part of the education that just isn't being done, but in mass, in a, in a mass quantity when it comes to this, this asset class. And that's the problem. Yeah, I think so too. And there is a way to do it correctly, right? So that you are screening for the right people. You are getting the right individuals, you know, into these units. Um, have you kind of found a secret sauce or, or the best way to kind of do that? Or what's kind of your way that you, um, you know, take care of that and make sure that those stigmas aren't existing in, in the work that you do? This asset class and the type of types of tenants that you're marketing to and you're going to get, you do have to be more diligent about making sure you're doing your background checks and your underwriting, right? And so for us, I mean, we do, we have the secret sauce and it doesn't, it doesn't eliminate a hundred percent of the risk, but it really brings that risk amount down to what it would typically be with, with any type of rental property. And so, you know, for us, and what most people don't realize is, look, you can underwrite and screen these tenants the exact same way you would screen on any multifamily, right? And so for us, we screen these tenants and we underwrite these tenants the exact same way we do if I was to place them in any of my multifamily properties, right? So we do full background check, full criminal check, full eviction check, a credit check. So we, we can see what's on there. And we don't place people that have a criminal history. If they have like, you know, parking tickets or a speeding ticket, okay, that's fine. But anything beyond that, we're not putting them in the property, just like we wouldn't put them in our multifamily properties. If they have a, a recent bankruptcy or slow pays on their credit, we don't place them in our properties. If they have any eviction on their history at all, we don't place them in our property. And that eliminates a lot of that risk that you have with these types of tenants, because as much as the, the, the housing authority pays, a lot of times the tenants still have a small portion they have to pay. Last thing you want to be doing is chasing a tenant down for $15 or $20 or $50 or whatever their portion is. So if you underwrite them that way, it really eliminates that problem from, a ride, from coming up. On top of that, we require our tenants to place a full month security deposit out of their own pocket. They can't get assistance for it. They can't get help from, from, a, from a local organization for, for it. It's their own money. So they're at risk of losing $1,300, $1,400, $1,500, $1,600 if they don't take care of that property. And when you're on government assistance for, for housing, that $1,300, $1,400, $1,500 that you have to come up with, that means a lot. And so it really gives them, it makes them buy into the property, basically, right? So it gives them, you know, their own money is on the line here. It's not a free ride like a lot of people think. And so by doing that, that, uh, that, that incentivizes them to take care of that property the best that they can. Um, and so it really, it, 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 it brings down the risk of them, you know, destroying your property or having 20 people living there, um, you know, that destroy the property or selling drugs out of the property or whatever it is, right? You, you make sure you, you, you put all everything in place that you can to eliminate those risks. 
And so by doing that, it really brings down the risk uh, factor of them destroying the property or them not paying their portion. And so it works really, really well. Yeah, sounds like you've had really great um, success with that. And um, it's just a way to make it you know, it would just work out better for everyone that's involved. You know, you know, who's, who's in your house, you know, you know, you know, that they can be trusted, you know, uh, that what they're going to be doing, you know, is, is okay. And, and, you know, nothing's gonna, gonna be a problem when you have these type of people in your unit. So I think that's really great that you found, you know, a, a good, uh, secret sauce, as we said, to make sure that we are uh, getting the best people that we can into into these houses. What are some solutions that you see when it comes to affordable housing? Because we just hear so much. This is a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to do this. No one can figure out how to do it. Why isn't there enough? What are some of the challenges that you see uh, when it comes to affordable housing and some solutions, you know, some, you know, of the solutions that you found, you know, ways to ways to do this. But how do you think we solve this problem of affordable housing and making that uh, that inventory problem a little bit better. Honestly, I think it goes back to what we already touched on, which is educating real estate investors. I think if you can actually educate real estate investors on the benefits of the program, how to go about doing it properly, and and the fact that that the the housing authority incentivizes us as property owners and and as investors and landlords, if you can educate people on that as a whole, they're going to I think that's going to help solve the the inventory problem. Um, you know, uh, let's face it, we're still in, we're still in a, I mean, we're still three, 4 million homes short nationwide, right? So there's still an inventory problem regardless. But I think, it, again, it just goes back to education because what people don't know, they don't know. And they're going to form their own opinions based off of, you know, well, this person told me this because they heard it from this person because of a bad experiences their nephew's uncle had or whatever it might be, right? So it's always like, you know, six people down the line and then they decide they don't want to get into it versus actually learning about it themselves and trying it out. The problem is, is there's not a ton of education being done on this. There's a ton of education out there about multifamily, right? There's a ton of education out there about short-term rentals and Airbnb and VRBOs. There's a ton of education out there about just single-family rentals even, right? Or now ADUs, accessory dwelling units are a big thing, right? But there's not a ton of education out there about affordable housing in Section 8 and how to do it properly. I'm trying to fix that. I mean, if you look at my Instagram and my social media, I talk a lot about it. Or my YouTube does as well. And we're starting to kind of create some some programs to help educate investors on it. But I think it needs to be done more at a mass level. And I think the government, to be honest, and as, as bad as I hate to rely on the government from, for a lot of things, I think it's the government's fault that people aren't educated on this. And I think they can be the ones that can help fix that problem if they were actually educate properly. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think, you know, we might be getting to the point where there needs to be some intervening, you know, from the government when it comes to this, because it's good, it, you know, could get out of control with just how little the supply is right now. Do you think that realtors play a role in this? And how can we, you know, assist in this area? How can we, you know, become an advocate for affordable housing and, and make it a part of our business strategy? That's a really good question. I'm actually really glad you brought that up because we we buy in markets that are not where we're based. So we're based in Pittsburgh. For Pennsylvania, right? But we don't own real estate in Pennsylvania. And there's a reason we don't own real estate in Pennsylvania. It's not good opportunities here for either asset class that we own. And so we are constantly looking into to, to move into new markets. And then to do that, we have to develop relationships with agents first and foremost, realtors, right? It's amazing how many realtors we talk to that have no idea about affordable housing, no idea about Section 8, no idea about how it works or anything like that. And so it takes us talking to a lot before. We find one that actually understands it and is willing to put the work in. On top of that, and I, I don't, this, this just is what it is. I'm not trying to, you know, throw anyone under the bus, 
But the dollar amounts that we look at to buy in aren't exactly high dollar amounts. And so a lot of agents don't want to waste their time on a $100,000 property. Never mind that we buy a couple hundred a year, you know, if not more. So we make up for it in volume. And honestly, it's really easy. You know, we don't require our agents to do a ton of work. But I think it's just a lot, again, a lack of understanding and knowledge that most realtors don't have when it comes to this asset class. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, Visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-licensed course locations. Yeah, I mean, I see this as kind of a huge opportunity for people to get involved. And you're right, okay, $100,000 property, but all we're hearing now is how we're in this low inventory, how there's no homes for sale, how no one's selling. So this is a great way, you know, and, and I've been trying to have episodes come out lately about what to do, you know, in a slower time, what to do when there's not, you know, that that influx that we had during COVID. And this sounds like it would be, you know, a great um, a great niche to focus on right now during this. You know, this is a really good way that you can still, you know, keep your business going, keep your income flowing um, without, you know, maybe having that traditional home sales that we all think about when it comes to real estate. And I think is that kind of what your your experience is too, is that it can be a great opportunity, especially in times like this. 100%. And, and it is, it's a really good opportunity. And, I, you know, I can just give you a couple of, or one example. I mean, I can give you a handful, but you know, we Cleveland's a really big market for us, right? You're in Ohio. Cleveland's a huge market for us. You know, we're going to buy between 75 to 100 properties in Cleveland alone just this year. And we have one agent that we work with up there. Now he has a team, but, you know, he's going to, and our average buy there is between, you know, 90 to $100,000. You know, 75 to 100 properties a, a, a year, you can see what the volume is that he's doing dollars, dollar wise. And so if your business is slow right now, Look at areas to focus on that, that, that a lot of other people aren't, right? Low competition. Let's be honest. It's low competition in this price point and in this asset class. There's tons of opportunity out there. Someone wants to actually learn about it and do it the proper way. Yeah, I think so too. So take notes, guys, if you're listening, if you're in a slower time or or are looking to even just expand your business, maybe try something new, try something different. You know, I know we are always trying to grow and evolve you know, as realtors and in, we need to change as things change too. So um, this is a, this is a really great opportunity. You know, as as you mentioned, Matt, um, what advice do you have for you know consumers, investors, for realtors if they want to get um, more involved in this world? How do we start learning about it? I know you mentioned education is so important, and we need to be doing you know a better job of that. But where do we start? You know, if if we want to get more involved in this, but really aren't sure how or what's the best way that we should go about getting involved? First step is actually just understanding how the program works, and that's all. That, you can do that with a simple Google search, and and it's all on the Housing Authority's website. You know, the HUD's website, which is their national government website. Learn about the program itself, so you actually understand how it works. Um, and then you can, you know, YouTube is your friend, Instagram is your friend, right? There's people like myself and others on there. It's a few others that educate on this this specific asset class that you'll learn a lot on. You know, the third thing, reach out to me directly. I mean, I'll answer any questions someone might have in regards to how to go about getting involved in this, how to how to get started, where can you find certain information? 
you know, the thing is, is anything to do with this asset class and anything to do with it because it's government backed, it's all online. All the information is online for you. I mean, you can go to their website and pull up any fair market rent that they pay in any county across this country to see what market you want to possibly move into. And that's exactly what we do. We look at markets where there's inventory, we see what the price points are, and we see if the fair market rents the, ho- the housing authority will pay support it. And it's just about, you know, just do your homework. I mean, it's that's that's first and foremost is where I would start is going to the HUD's website, learning about the program, understanding how it how it works. And then from there, you can start identifying markets that you want to get into, figuring out what your buy box is for properties, making sure that that aligns with what rent is. And then from there, it's just making taking the first steps to actually buy for your first property. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, Cleveland and you do a lot of work there. How do you identify what, what you want to invest in? What makes, you know, a property or an area? You know, what do you look for when it comes to your personal business choices and and tell us a little bit about that process and how that works. Yeah. So for us, it's a numbers game. Um, and it really should be for anyone that we're investing. I mean, first and foremost, this is a business and we're investing, right? So we're here to make money. And so for us, we have to make sure that the fair market rents that Housing Authority publishes that gets paid in any given county aligns with the, with the purchase price on the property. So for us, our minimum DSCR ratio is, well, is typically a 1.8 DSCR ratio to hit the numbers that we want to hit on net operating income after every expense per property or per door. Um, And so what that really aligns to is our buy box, which is really, really tight. It's really, really simple. It's $85,000 to $105,000 in a single family home that's three bedroom or more that we can get a minimum of $1,350 a month from the housing authority on. If those things align and the property's in good shape and it needs to be pretty much move-in ready or recently renovated, um, and we don't have to do any major repairs, just little things to pass inspection with Section 8. We're going to buy everyone that we possibly can. And we do. And, you know, as far as multifamily, we add small multifamily properties to our portfolio for this asset class. You know, but we, we typically won't buy anything that's, that's, that's a one bedroom, one bath. They, they typically have to at least be two bedroom or more. We do have a couple of one bedrooms in some of our multifamilies, but that's only because the other units are two and three bedrooms. And so we can kind of Almost, it's like a it's like a, a lost leader type of thing. Right? Well, whatever, whatever we can get on it, we will. But you know, that's it. I mean, that's the buy box, and we stick to that. And every market that we look into, and we've looked at growing into other markets that have higher purchase price properties with higher fair market rents, and the numbers just don't line up. Like Florida, you know, it's just not a market that you can do with this asset class. Um, even most of Texas, you can't do that. You can't. The numbers just don't align and don't work in this asset class. So a lot of Midwest areas work well, some in the South, um, and then as well as, um, you know, some in the Northeast, although we don't really touch those, although I consider Cleveland Northeast, but that's only because I'm Pittsburgh. Other people consider it Midwest. And then the other thing too, and, and I'm not going to get political here, this is the only political thing I'm going to say, is that it really has to be a landlord-friendly state and 99.9% of landlord-friendly states are red states. Because what you don't want to get yourself into is in like a, a Michigan where it takes a year or so to evict a tenant. Uh, we made that mistake. We moved into Detroit and we very quickly found that we didn't want to be in Detroit. And, you know, the, just so just stay away from those types of states as well. Yeah. And I know that's something that we work so hard on here at Ohio Realtors is our advocacy, you know, for property owners, for um, individuals who do have units that they rent out. I mean, we're we're actively working right now on killing some rental registrations um, that, that have been popping up all over in, in our 
local governments lately. So we are constantly keeping an eye on that kind of stuff. And, you know, we will try our best we can here at Ohio Realtors to make sure our property owners, you know, interests are protected because they know that's something we feel very strongly about here at Ohio Realtors too. Yeah. I mean, we just saw that happen in Cleveland just Mm -hmm. uh, about six months or so ago, whatever, maybe the beginning of the year, they started requiring rental registrations on every property we buy that we're renting out. And it's every single property we buy, we have to fill one out. It's just like, it's it's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Yeah. And that's that's something that, you know, we're keeping an eye on and, and we want to try to our best to, to advocate against that. So I know I know our government, our lobbyists are working on it every day. I hear them talking about it. So <laughs> absolutely. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I know you believe in that we're coming up on a large opportunity when it comes to real estate and specifically in the next couple months. Tell us what what you're seeing, what we can be aware of and what opportunities you, are you seeing kind of unfold that's going to be really big for our industry moving forward. We're, we're in tough times right now, right? Everyone's been saying, well, we're going to have a crash. We're going to have a crash. We're going to have a crash. When, let me be, I've been saying the same thing for probably 14, 16 months, we're not going to have a crash. This is a completely different market than it was in 2008. And I don't know about you, but I lived through 2008. I was investing through 2008. We're not in a subprime debt crisis. We're not in a variable rate crisis. We're in a supply and demand crisis. Simple. And we would have seen a correction sooner in 2020, in my opinion, had the pandemic not happened and the government not artificially keep interest rates low and pump a ton of money into the system, which just threw a, you know, we talk about affordability being low now, then it was extremely high, right? People had extremely low interest rates, a ton of what we call free money, although we know it's not free, we're paying for it now at 9%, you know, inflation rates. But, you know, everyone had this extra money that was thrown into the system. And so, you know, that drove uh, prices up. But Everyone was thinking it was it was the same thing as 2008. We're not going to see a crash. We're going to see a correction. I think rates are going to go up another quarter point, maybe, maybe, and then probably go sideways for a little bit of time. And then we're going to start seeing rates drop. Here's the problem. I see a couple things. And if I start getting off track, just bring me back on, on track. No, this is great. Yeah, no, you're good. People are like, I'm waiting on the sidelines. I'm waiting on the sidelines either for a crash or for interest rates to come down. But in a supply and demand market, which is what we're in, our supply is still not meeting demand and we're at 8% interest rates right now, right? So what, hap- what do they think is going to happen when, when, when rates start dropping? Do they think that demand is going to go away? No, demand's going to increase even more, which is going to drive prices even higher because, demand- because supply is so low. And so everyone that's sitting there saying, oh, I'm, sick, I'm waiting for interest rates to come down or I'm waiting for a crash to happen. I'm like, you guys are, gonna, you guys are just, you're, you're doing it wrong. You're going to be, and you're going to be saying the same thing in 10 years. Oh, I'm waiting for interest rates to come down or I'm waiting for the market to crash. And the market's just not going to crash. Rates, you know, rates are going to, when rates start coming down, prices are going to go back through the roof like they were 18, 24 months ago um, because there's still no supply. And there, there's no supply because right now sellers don't want to sell and then have to go buy something at 8%. So even if they wanted to downsize or even if they wanted to upsize, they're just holding on to what they have at, a, at their four, five, six percent interest rate, and so that's what I kind of see happening within the next kind of twenty-four months. I see rates kind of going sideways for a little bit, and then I see them eventually dropping. And when they do, that's just going to bring back, bring in even more demand than what we have now. And we still have decent demand for eight percent interest rates. Let's be honest, and that's just because supply is really low. Um, but that's just going to drive prices through the roof even more, which is going to bring down affordability once again even more. And so it's just a cycle that's going to keep getting what I say worse for those people that are saying they're sitting on the sidelines waiting for the for rates to drop or for the for the market to crash because 
the market's just not going to crash. If it was going to crash, it would have happened by now, right? Yeah, you're going to see. Now, that's residential, right? Yeah. Uh, and let's kind of spin that and talk a little bit more about commercial and multifamily and, and retail and, and office space. I think the one sector in this industry or one asset class that we're going to see a big, that we are going to see a crash in is going to be on that commercial side. Although I don't think that commer- the commercial crash that we're going to have is going to spill over into residential. There's just two completely different parts of the market. Right, or the, the industry. But we are going to see, I hate even using the word crash, but we're going to see a massive correction in the commercial space because there's trillions of debt that's, a, that's getting ready to reset over the next 12 to 18 months in commercial debt, right? Office space, even large multifamily, retail centers, shopping complex, uh, complexes, et cetera. The problem is, is when that debt reset resets, those operators right now are not going to be able to A, refinance into longer term debt because their properties are vacant or not stabilized or cash flowing because during the pandemic, everyone realized, oh, wait, we don't need all this office space anymore. We don't need our people working out of this office space anymore. Or you had a ton of businesses just go belly up and they're not in the retail space anymore or in the offices offices that they were in. And so you have your vacancy rates are through the roof. And so when you have high vacancy rates and your debt has to reset, you can't get the debt that you need. You can't get refinanced. You can't get refinanced. You can't get the financing you need. And so that's going to leave a lot of operators stuck. And so what you're going to see, you're going to see a ton of that inventory coming on the marketplace that is going to be at 60, 65, 70 cents on the dollar because these guys need to get out of it. They can't get new debt on it. They can't get another bridge loan on it and they have to get out of it. And then you're going to see some go into foreclosure and you're going to see some go into bankruptcy. I mean, we we started to see little bits of it here and there in the multifamily space. There was a big operator down in Houston, Texas that only started about four years ago when things were really, really good. That over leveraged himself. He bought it way too high loan to values. He bought on bridge debt and that debt reset and he couldn't afford the payments on it. His properties weren't stabilized. He lost over three thousand doors of real estate. It was like three hundred twenty or two hundred thirty million dollars, I think, is what is what the value of that portfolio was. That sold for seventy cents, not of the value of the portfolio, but 70 percent of the loan that was outstanding on that property. Yeah, so you're going to see more of that come into play. You are, and that's the portion of the industry I think that's going to really, really suffer. And for us, we're just sitting by waiting because we're going to start scooping on properties up as soon as as soon as they start coming across our desk because we're positioned really, really well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Sounds like it's going to be a great opportunity. You know, if if things play out in the way that that we're thinking that um, you know this could be a really Really exciting time and, and great for great for business and, and a great opportunity ahead. So there's never been a better time to get started. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time.